0: What's up everyone, welcome back to the tokenized TV podcast, where we go from deep diving into the fundamentals and connecting the dots to a project and its ecosystem, all the way to zooming out and seeing how the long term macro picture for this digital asset space is heading. If you guys haven't already, make sure to check out the Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Medium for more crypto-related content just like this at Tokenizer. And as always, none of what you ever hear or read from me or my guests on the show are financial advisors, and therefore you should never take anything from here as any form of financial or investment advice. But now that we got that out of the way, let's get right into it. Alright, what's up everyone? Welcome back to the channel. I'm Tokenizer and today I'm joined by a special guest for a deep discussion into the macro long-term view and potential for Quant Network along with the role of ODAP. So over the past couple months, this guy's gained a ton of traction around the Quant community with his open discussions and threads and he's kind of really just become one of the faces of the quant community. So with that said, I'd
1: like to welcome Greg. How are you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the program. Uh, I was really excited when you asked and happy to share some of the research that I've been doing lately. Yeah, man, I'm a big fan for all the work you've done so far. And
0: I'm honestly really excited for what we're about to uncover today.
1: Yeah, same. And uh, just right back at you, like the, you know, I admire the volume of content that you push out across multiple channels. I know it takes a lot of work and you got to stay on the ball. And the fact that you cover multiple projects at once has always impressed me. Um, You know, I'm so like laser focused on quant. Uh, I can kind of wrap my head around things, but the way that you cover like all these different utility projects is really impressive. So uh, props to you.
0: Really appreciate it, man. So. Do you want to just kind of tell us about your background, what you did before getting into the whole crypto space and then how you got so deep and interested into quant?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm originally from New York. Uh, I moved out to L.A. about six years ago um, to start some businesses. And uh, now I'm living in Arizona. And I always had a marketing background, marketing and sales, uh, doing like online sales um, in terms of website optimization and email marketing and slide decks and uh, podcasting, all this type of stuff. And found crypto in 2017. I bought Bitcoin in September 2017 at about 3500 was my first buy and I was all gung ho on, you know, this is going to change the world and blah, 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 which I still believe it is. But, you know, I really like went head first. And before long, I had the majority of my net worth in it as a, you know, uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed uh, newbie and didn't really know what a market cycle was. And, uh, you know, we, we went up very quickly after that up to 20K. And luckily, I had a few altcoins that then followed in January. I got really lucky and kind of like cashed out pretty big on Ripple at the top. And so I was able to kind of like gain some profit off of, uh, you know, what ended up being a pretty brutal bear market for another few years. Um, I worked during the bear market. I was working at a sports company in los angeles and so i was kind of you know cashing my paycheck and just kind of buying the dips along the way and still keeping my eye on things um still very bullish on the space long term um and then you know in 2020 covid hit and i lost my job and then the bull market came back like right at the perfect time so uh you know i i played it really well um because of the experience that i had and was able to kind of like run Bitcoin up and then cash that into DeFi and DeFi went up and then, you know, early 2021 hit. Uh, Well, I guess I should rewind a little bit. Uh, I found Quant in October of 2020. Uh, It was brought to me by a friend uh, who I really trust. And I kind of was asking him what his biggest bags were and Quant was his number two bag. And I was like, I didn't know what this was. So I started researching it and watched a few videos and I was like, oh, damn, this actually is pretty interesting. I haven't really seen anything like this. Um, and I started to just go down the rabbit hole and within about a month and a half I was just like incredibly bullish and I just couldn't really find any red flags in the project so I continued to DCA uh, as well as some of the other DeFi stuff and then when the the calendar turned kind of all the altcoins went crazy in 2021 and I was you know Quant was basically just chilling it did go from about ten dollars to forty dollars in the new year but some of this other stuff like, you know, synthetics and chain and, you know, um, what was the other one, uh, Haven, there was like some privacy coin. I just had like a bunch of ones that started going nuts, like, like 10, 15, 20 X, whatever. And so I was just taking profits and dumping it into Quant, which, you know, for anyone that was around from February to April of 2021 in Quant, you know, that there was this running joke that it was kind of like a $40 stable coin. And... We were seeing things like uh, Shiba and, you know, Doge and whatever else, all these meme coins, everything that would basically anything on Binance Smart Chain was just going 10x within a couple of days. And Quant, you know, this fundamentally sound beast just couldn't move. And it was very frustrating. But I continued to DCA and uh, move profits into this token that I was extremely confident in. And then when the market crashed uh, in May, uh, after the China news and the you know Tesla FUD and whatever, uh, Quant rebounded very quickly and just did a 10X and went to 400. Um, and that was around, by the time it got to 400, we were already in September. And ironically, that's when I started doing some rooms on Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse is a social audio app. So if you know what Twitter Spaces is, Twitter Spaces is basically they ripped off Clubhouse. Um, that idea of kind, of kind of having like a live audience in an audio room and that they can join the stage and talk. And so I had been building a Clubhouse audience for about a year. I joined that in November 2020. And a lot of what I was talking about was crypto. So I had like six or 7,000 followers on there that were all listening to me talk about Bitcoin and crypto and quant a little bit, but just kind of been passing. So I thought, you know what? This thing is so crazy. I need to put together like a formal room like where I break everything down and we go through all the partnerships and we talk about what is Overledger and Gilbert's background and et cetera, et cetera, because I need these people like I can do these little two or three or four minute pitches on stage uh, and people can ask a couple of questions here and there, but there needs to be a deep dive, you know? And so I did that in September. I ended up doing a bunch more over the rest of the year. I got incredible feedback um, every about once a month. I started doing these and just updates on the project, new things that come out. And yeah, it was really well received. I had done a bunch of podcasting in the past. And so I was used to kind of getting in front of the mic and I had my voice and I did a lot of preparation for these rooms. And so they were giving people value and I continued on that path. And then I guess in February, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I guess, you know, uh, Max Max Basenko came into in January, came into the Quant Telegram and was like, "Hey, do you want to do a Twitter Spaces with me? I have a, like a traditional finance audience and I want to show them Quant. This is like a nice, you know, gap kind of token that it, you know, it's it's exposure to crypto that I think traditional people would understand." And and I said, "Sure." And uh, we did a room with me and Ghost and Hungarian and Jeff and Max, and we did a couple of those and uh I started thinking about, hey, you know what, maybe I should start growing my Twitter a little bit. Um, I'd had Twitter for a decade, but I'd never really tweeted. So uh, in February, I started pushing some content and things started to move really quickly and uh, I was at about 300 followers and now it's like two months later and I'm at, I just crossed 3000 yesterday. So it's been really exciting. I'm getting like incredible engagement, incredible feedback. I'm having a ton of fun. A lot of the marketing work that I've done in the past in terms of like content creation and just playing around with Photoshop and premiere and all these types of things, uh, is coming in really handy. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I'm just having a blast and you know, price is down, but, um, I'm enjoying this in terms of just like building this community and building during the bear market always seems to be the best bet. So when the price comes around and everybody else comes flocking in, we're already all prepared, and we can handle it and we're ready to give value,
0: yeah, man, for sure. And congrats on the three k saw it this morning. but uh, yeah, to just further add on to that, I remember like around when I got in a quant was also around that like whole thirty forty dollars stablecoin joke. So, that was definitely a blessing in disguise seeing it decouple from bitcoin as you mentioned like earlier on back in september
1: yeah it, it had a weird kind of if you were watching it really closely it it definitely had like interesting price action the whole way through oh. like the fact that it was stable when everything was going nuts and then when everything crashed it kind of went crazy and it's like okay Maybe there is something about this token. Uh, maybe it does have a bit of a life of its own. Um, and obviously now we're, we're back again, kind of coupled with everything as Bitcoin is to the real market. It just seems like every, the whole world is kind of, you know, feeling the same in every market. But I do think that Quant has a real chance to decouple probably sooner than a lot of these other tokens. And, and we can talk about kind of the, you know, the future outlook later today. But um, yeah, I have a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of bullish feelings towards the nature of this project.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, uh, would you think if we just go right into ODAP, talk about what it is, and then basically how it works compared to how our modern internet is today?
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, what is ODAP? Um, So first of all, I think we should give like just a quick background on Quant. Um, Quant is a global financial company that has built a powerful API solution for blockchain interoperability. So their CEO, Gilbert Verdian, has worked in high-level cybersecurity across multiple central banks and government entities, including the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England, and uh, also in Australia. And through a lot of his existing relationships, he's been able to partner with and integrate quants technology into the biggest financial institutions in the world. And most of it's being done behind the scenes under NDA. Quant, uh, their product over ledger is a white label product, meaning that anyone that licenses their software can actually brand it as their own and not have to give Quant credit. So because of that, that's a great value proposition to potential clients because they can say, hey, we have this blockchain solution for you, come use it, it's ours. But at the same time, for investors, And for speculators uh, it's a little difficult because quant is under non-disclosure agreements with regards to who they're partnered with and uh, that's okay Uh, i think it'll just lead to a bigger bang down the line but uh, during all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes and onboarding clients gilbert is also leading multiple standards bodies around the world including uh, an iso standard iso tc 307 which is the iso standard for blockchain and distributed ledger technologies where there's Uh, like 57 or 62 countries that are part of it that are all coming up with not just interoperability standards but also governance standards and things of that nature for like how blockchain will be used at a mass scale so that any business can kind of just look at this and understand okay this is how things are done Uh, and iso standards are used across the board whether it's the size of paper so that printer companies know the dimensions or the size of credit cards and things like that, like country codes, just things that are globally standardized. There's an ISO standard. Gilbert started the ISO standard for blockchain, which is pretty crazy. Um, And he's also a part of ANATBA, which is a blockchain uh, standards committee as well. Uh, He's actually co-chair of it right now. So um, this is what's going to allow for mass adoption. And the Quant CEO is right in the center of all that. And they have a technology that allows basically for multiple distributed ledgers or non-distributed ledgers and legacy software and legacy uh, infrastructure to create multi-chain, multi-ledger applications. Um, And so Overledger is the product. And now what ODAP is, it's actually a separate project. It's an open now. Oh, right. So just to, sorry to say one more thing, Overledger is like the company's product, right? This is a paid software. Uh, Part of it is closed source, part of it's open source. Um, They are patent pending on certain things. So this is a private company's product that will allow access to an open network. So the same way that, let's say, Verizon or Spectrum allows you to, they're a private company with their, you know, certain onboarding and offboarding to the open network that is the internet. So similarly, uh, Quant is providing what are called gateways, and we're about to get into this in a second, onto ODAP, which is going to be kind of the upgraded internet, an internet that allows for the distribu- uh, distribution of digital assets. As opposed to just information. So, let's, having said that, let's just dive right into this um, where I'll do a better job explaining kind of what I'm saying. So, this is a thread that I put together on ODAP. ODAP stands for the Open Digital Asset Protocol. Um, and basically, uh, in order to understand ODAP, we need to just take a quick look at how the internet works right now. There's a protocol called BGP that is called the Border gateway protocol. And what it does is it allows different pods, different networks, different uh, systems across the internet to communicate with each other to say, Hey, if you want to send a packet from A to B, you can do it through me, I'm actually connected to both of you. And all of these different networks kind of hold up a sign that says, this is what I can connect you to. And then BGP allows the, the quickest routes to take place so that data can uh, split up and go across the internet using other protocols. But BGP is kind of that that routing system that and that, that uh, it allows it to exchange information between networks uh, in terms of routing data. And so um, before border, border Gateway Protocol, we had a similar fragmented system where there were all these different systems that live separately from each other. And so I'm going to play you a quick clip from Thomas Harjano, who is... CTO at MIT Connection Science, they are working in tandem with Quant to create ODEP uh, along with the U.S. government, Intel, and a bunch of telecoms companies and financial institutions. Um, It's becoming a a large project. And this is one of the co-founders. And this is basically a clip of him just talking about how the Internet used to be.
2: The internet design of the 80s and 90s also faced the same dilemmas. We had local area networks LANs that employed specific data packet technology. And so there's a thing called border gateway protocol that are used in the internet today. So we are revisiting the same architecture for the purposes of blockchain network, interoperability and crypto.
1: So. Uh, Rather than exchanging information like the Internet does through BGP, ODAP allows for networks to find and transfer digital assets, right? So I say this critical ingredient will help us migrate from Web 2 to Web 3, from the Internet of Information to the Internet of Value. So right now, the Internet, if I want to send something from A to B, I'm basically only able to send information, whether that's text, pictures, video, audio, whatever it may be where you can't actually send digital assets unless you're using these blockchains and that's a layer on top of the internet but it doesn't allow for like blockchain to blockchain communication we don't have that we're still fragmented and so um, this is this opens up the avenue for these things called api gateways which is what odap is built on Um, this concept where gateways are put in front of different networks that allow them to speak a common language. So the gateways distill the information from any blockchain or any distributed ledger into a simple language, um, the simplest language in fact. And you can select like what attributes from your network you want to put out there and which ones you want to get from other networks and which ones you want to search and retrieve similar to the border gateway protocol, but using ledgers and blockchains. So this is Harjano again, just talking about the basic structure of how the gateways will work in relation to the different blockchains.
2: You have gateway G1 in front of blockchain B1, you have gateway G2 in front of blockchain B2. So G1 is peered with G2. The design principle is that G2 does not need to know the interior constructions and designs and resources and addresses of blockchain B1 and vice versa. So you want to hide it and that is to promote scalability. The internet today scales beautifully because each network is opaque to the other. It only shares minimum information about routes through the BGP routing protocol. So we're using that between G1 and G2. That's-
1: So right now, the way that blockchains communicate is primarily through a third party. And you can do that, like if I want to move assets from one chain to another, I can basically use an exchange like Coinbase or Binance. I can put my tokens on, I can sell it and then buy the other one. And that's basically been an interoperability solution, right? But it's through a centralized party. And then there's also things that are a little more decentralized uh, that are these bridging solutions. Where you know I these companies, they build smart contracts that interact with both platforms and then a lot of them they work differently, but some will like lock your tokens up on one side and then mint ones on the other and things of that nature. Uh, but there's still this third party in between the smart contract. and so that creates vulnerabilities. And it's still like a centralized third party. It's somewhat centralized to varying degrees. So this clip I'm going to play here is also Thomas Harjano doing a presentation on ODAP. And in this, he kind of outlines the way that things work now versus the way that things would work through an API gateway solution like ODAP.
2: Right now, what we have is really the top diagram. When you want to move assets, you actually have to transfer the asset to a mediating entity, and they will forward it to the next person in the network. So it creates this dependency on this entity. It goes against everything that decentralized technology is supposed to be. So what we want is the ability in the bottom there to have a gateway talk to another gateway in a direct, secure, and atomic manner over this network of
1: networks. right so i say here odap strips networks down to their simplest data formats bits and bytes while this function is beneficial it only accomplishes one thing which is to create a common language additional instructions are still required for networks to know exactly what to do with its assets so even though the api gateways can distill the inf- the complicated information from the blockchain or the ledger into a common format into the simple data format that's all it does and it basically says hey this is what i have on my network over here and i can be interoperable with you through this common language but that's all it does is it just kind of like waves its flag and says hey this is what i've got and you can come play with it or not depending on the restrictions that i've put in place per gateway but you still need all these other solutions to build on top of this common protocol now to enable for the things to actually happen you need to tell it what to do now and so Again, Thomas Arjano quickly talking about this simplistic layer, but the need for additional layers.
2: The ODAP layer is just bits and bytes. It shouldn't know anything about the economic value, that's at some other layer above it. The common context in this gateway is ODAP, but ODAP on its own is insufficient. You need all this other stuff that addresses the particular scenario or use case.
1: So this is an example of different types of interoperability uh, that need to be considered. And so there's four different layers. Uh, The first one is technical interoperability, which is basically ODAP, right? It allows the data to move across the systems by creating this language. Um, The second one here is semantic interoperability, which is the actual thing that like will physically make the updates to the ledgers itself. So what does that protocol look like there's the organizational interoperability which is like terms and contracts and agreements so from a business standpoint you need to actually have built in a layer of interoperability that uh, you know decides who and what and how and what the agreements are and then there's the legal which um, there's regulations and laws and you know, anti-money laundering and know your customer and all that stuff. So it needs to go through, you know, certain protocols in that sense as well. So these all need to be considered. And uh, I'm gonna play you one more clip from Harjano here, uh, talking about, for example, the need for a legal framework in the interoperability sense and that additional layer on top of ODEP.
2: When you begin addressing specific use cases, then certain other layers have to come into play. You can't cram in everything into one layer. You need to figure out your layered architecture up and down and say which section goes where. When these two gateways begin to open connection and then eventually execute ODAP, they need to find out who these guys are. Who is responsible legally for operating that gateway? Things need to happen first at the legal layer before we can actually move assets. And the reason is because when you're moving assets, unlike the internet, it's not just moving bytes, you're moving economic value
1: right so because there's money being moved around we actually need a lot of a lot more regulation and a lot of understanding on who's on the other end Uh, and again we're speaking from a mass adoption standpoint there's always going to be pockets of black markets there's going to be people that want to be off the radar that skirt the law that do whatever it is but and I think that will increase, obviously, like I think this technology does allow for things like tax evasion and what what have you. But we're talking about at scale, like what are institutions going to adopt? How are we going to bring mass adoption so that this is a part of everyday life? And because that's what we all want, we all, you know, a lot of people in crypto, they say they want that because they want everything to go up and they think that this space is going to attract all this money. But the capital is not going to go there until the regulation is in place. And so these are the types of things that need to be thought through. And right now, the way that we do interoperability between these different systems, it's unregulated and it's also insecure and unsecure. And that's through bridges um, and that we just mentioned with these basically these smart contracts. And Harjano here, I, I said it was one more, I lied. I got one more Harjano for you. And basically this is him kind of talking about uh, you know, the bridges and how you can actually use API gateways through ODAP and the bridges can be another layer. They can be a layer, but you still need the gateways to provide resiliency
2: if you have an entity providing bridge services, it in fact could implement the gateway function within its network. I do hope that the bridging community begins to look at the need to standardize the endpoints and the actual bytes going across the bridges. For your own security, the whole bridging concept is a richer construct that wraps around the gateways. In fact, one or more gateways will be needed that implements this ODAP commitment.
1: So this is one more angle of that. Um, Talking about a similar construct is how, in this case, the DLT relayers, which is a broader term for bridges, uh, can be implemented uh, alongside bridges and to add security to bridges. And this is actually Dr. Luke Riley, who's the head of innovation at Quant Network, addressing that exact topic.
3: We should, for resilience purposes, add API gateways when we operate around DLT relays. If we have a user on the right-hand side here, for example, and they want to connect to the DLT relay but also a separate DLN, they should really be going through API gateways to get the resilience it can offer, because a DLT API gateway can connect on the back end to multiple nodes, so it has a lot more resilience than just building your application off one node. And like in the DLT relayer slide, API gateways we use for resilience purposes for the Oracle interoperability category, breaking the one-to-one connection between the off-chain component and the on-chain
1: node. So if we can agree that gateways can actually add resiliency to existing networks, as well as provide new ability to transfer between networks from scratch, then we can move along and say that, okay, well, how are we going to actually standardize this and make it real? And Quant is working alongside MIT, as I mentioned earlier. But I'll let Gilbert, who is the CEO of Quant, kind of describe really quick how this all came about and how they're progressing. So I've
3: always had an idea of creating an Internet protocol for money. Coincidentally, I've been thinking about it and I spoke at an event and one of the MIT people spoke at the same event. I just realized he gets it and MIT understands where this is all heading. And I approached them, I said, look, I've got this idea, we need to create a protocol that can allow the seamless move of digital assets between different networks and different gateways an open digital asset protocol that anyone can implement and use. And they agreed. So we've got the US government involved, the Internet Engineering Task Force. They're the ones that endorsed and enabled TCPIP to happen. They're the ones that basically created the protocols that run the internet. There's the likes of Juniper and Intel part of it. We've got payment companies interested in it. We've got telecoms companies interested in it. So it's started to be a big thing. And what we're looking to do is to create that internet scale protocol to move digital assets. And at the core level, how does that one network have a gateway to understand and find resources to another network? And
1: so that's what we're tackling, which is much larger. So you can see just the level at which they're operating uh, in terms of zooming out and particularly of importance is that Internet Engineering Task Force, right? He mentioned TCP IP, um, also BGP, SMTP, which is email, HTTP, which allows for the websites to show up on your browser. All of these protocols are managed and approved through the IETF. So this is the granddaddy of internet protocols, right? The Internet Engineering Task Force. And so that is who MIT and Quant and others are drafting and submitting and publishing these reports to that basically outline how ODAP will work and how API gateways will work. And they've been doing that for about 18 months now. According to Thomas Harjano, this is going to take another year or two because of the level of detail at which the IETF operates. And that's fine because you know, when you're globally standardizing the, the upgrade of the Internet itself, you better make sure that you dot all your I's across all your T's. But the fact that they're working directly on this is significant and comes back to I mentioned earlier how Gilbert founded ISO TC 307. Um, ODAP works within these TC 307 frameworks, of course, and um, the, ODA, the recent ODAP drafts, two of them were actually cited in a recent interoperability report written by Visa. So you can see down here, these two highlighted references include, th- include Thomas Harjano, as well as Martin Hargreaves, who's the chief product officer at Quant. Uh, so this was significant in that they were recognizing this interoperability gateway work from uh, through Visa. And then Hyperledger also, they have a platform called Hyperledger Fabric, which is actually the most Widely adopted enterprise blockchain in the world among top one hundred companies, uh, and they have a bunch of different platforms that they put out. Hyperledger, which is it they're an open source nonprofit blockchain platform developer development system, and in multiple of their systems, uh, they're now implementing ODAP I'll uh, I'll have Tokenizer link this thread in the description if you want to click around to these screenshots. Um, but they are adding support for ODAP into their new systems, um, including this new one uh, that just came out last week. Uh, I'm not going to play this clip for you. You can watch it as well, but it's basically they came out with another platform. I think this is like their 18th one or something. This one's called Firefly, and all of them have different enterprise focused solutions. Um, And this one also employs API gateways. Which is just more credence to the fact that this is how data is going to be transferred in these different systems as we kind of scale and, and reach adoption. Um, more credence to API gateways, the Bank for International Settlements is using them in multiple proof of concepts for their central bank digital currency. So Project Dunbar and Project Inthanon Lion Rock. You may have this is also called the MCBDC project. Um, And so in these screenshots, I'm basically just showing, um, you know, that API gateways are employed in some of these technical prototypes that they are testing out. Um, Oops, I just think I went back here. So um, you're seeing API gateways being adopted and being referenced and uh, in these major, major entities. Um, And there's a, there's a way that the the way that quant ties into this, right? If ODAP is this open digital asset protocol that anyone can develop API gateways for, well, first of all, there's a bit of a technical barrier, right, because if I'm just at home and I'm like, oh, I wanna use like the new internet, I wanna be able to like, you know, build a smart contract, let's say, between my business and another business and have it be done on this decentralized internet, like and not have to go through, you know, all these other systems. But I also don't want to be locked into like Ethereum or I don't want to be locked into Solana or whatever it may be. Um, I want to be able to interoperate between all systems and not have to think about it. And how do I get access to that? Right. It's like, I don't know how to set up a gateway. I don't know how to do any of that. So the same way that you sign up for a company that provides you Internet access, there's going to be gateway service providers. And I actually made this up GSP. I don't know if that's like a a real term, but I believe that this is kind of how it's gonna operate where Quant Network is kind of the first GSP where they will allow anybody to come in and spin up their own gateway, or you can use existing gateways and just spin up your own smart contracts, depending on what sort of licenses you buy from this company. And so this is Gilbert kind of talking about Again, the evolution of ODAP, but really how Quant's Overledger can tie into that.
3: So this is our way of establishing that mainstream adoption and creating this global ecosystem and this global network of networks where everyone can bring their own network. It could be private, it could be blockchain networks, it could be permissionless. And having the gateways, an ODAP gateway, you'll be able to access the rest of the network. And so for us, Overledger gateway is the first ODAP gateway that's being built because we're at the forefront of that technology. There will be others later on, but we're the first out of the gate.
1: So that is... One of the reasons that I'm extremely bullish on Quant is because you have something like ODAP, which is being pushed through the IETF alongside MIT, who, by the way, MIT also created TCP IP. So there's precedent here. So they're pushing through this technology as this open source stack for the next wave of the Internet, for this digital asset Internet. And then you have Quant. On top of that saying okay cool this is what's going to get pushed through and we're intimately involved with how it's being developed so we're going to build our software based on the compliance nature of the odap restrictions and the odap protocol um, such that we are going to be able to instantly use odap and we're also going to add this level of interoperability um, that can create these smart contracts so Anybody will be able to create an ODAP gateway or an ODAP gateway service provider, right? But what Quant even does even further than that is that they are patenting their technology that allows for these multi-chain smart contracts. And so you just because you can plug into the internet doesn't mean you can actually create um, an ordering, uh, you know, a single layer that's an ordering, ordering and filtering layer across multiple chains. And so that's what Overledger is. And that is what um, a lot of these institutions are already opting into and working with Quant on. And so right now it's a kind of a privatized system. It's just the Overledger network where they can all interact with each other. But then once ODAP is approved and it becomes kind of this like standardized way of uh, using the internet for digital assets, it will start to expand very quickly outside of the OVN, the Overledger network. and. We'll talk a little bit about, I guess, where I see Quant fitting in in the longer term, but this is what's exciting about Quant, is that if you believe in kind of the standardized approach through ODAP, then you can look at what Quant is doing and say, okay, it's not just in a silo. They're not just building some technology that allows for interoperability even. They're doing it on the back of a standardized global internet protocol that's being pushed through the proper bodies. And so it's very exciting. Um, So this is just talking about kind of what uh, Overledger's building, it's all kind of with enterprise and with uh, KYC AML and the, F, the FATF travel rule in mind. This is just basically saying that they're going to be regularly regulatory compliant right off the bat. Um, these solutions that that they're employing um, didn't mean to click that. And these are quotes from Gilbert talking about how he envisions. Overledger network and Odap kind of all playing together, and you can read these yourself. They're quite interesting. Um, this is one of the things that I find most interesting about Quant is the Telegram chats, where there's just a lot, a lot of fundamental analysis uh, that goes down and kind of. Gilbert used to pop in there a lot more and kind of share information. Now, Quan has scaled up to the point that um, he's very busy kind of actually running a business instead of just, um, you know, he doesn't have time for like the AMAs and stuff. Cause it's like, I say it's like the equivalent of like, you know, It's not elon musk or the vice president but it's like something like that where like they're clearly like working at a very high level with very high level people on very high level problems they don't necessarily have time to like drop in for like an hour ama or 30 minute ama telegram like it's a huge honor at this point when he comes through Uh, but these are some of the older messages where he kind of like outlines the vision and even who they're working with at this time which is like multiple massive companies um and that's basically it so um, the internet is upgrading please wait I got my cool little gif here and um, that's it so ODAP again is just this this global protocol that will be open to anybody. And Quant is the first one that's building in a compliant fashion for ODAP gateways. And we're seeing API gateways kind of become a bit of a hot topic. Visa's referencing it, Hyperledger is using them, the Bank for International Settlements is talking about them. And so this will only continue to grow over the next few years. And Quant is in position uh, as Overledger becomes a dominant force in the gateway community and the gateway services. Um, the QNT token is actually directly tied to the usage of the Overledger network, so that's how it all kind con- kind of comes back full circle. And uh, yeah, that's it for Odap, man.
0: Wow. Well, first, I just want to say I've read this thread a couple times, and it's one of the most well-articulated threads I've seen. But when you really break it down like this, it's it just really goes to show not only the research you've done, but also just the scale of what they're building out Odap to be.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a bit overwhelming to even like kind of think about sometimes. And I try to, that's why I think focusing on this, the small stuff in the day-to-day is like the most important. You have to do, I know, you know, the clouds and the dirt. That's kind of a thing that Gary Vaynerchuk talks about when you're building something or when you're looking at like a, some, you know, a project that you're working through, it's like, Sometimes you need to stay in the clouds and like ODAP, I think is kind of the clouds where you're like, okay, let me see that 30,000 foot view of what's going on. And then you got to go back to the dirt and you got to do that day-to-day grind. And I think that's what they're doing with like Overledger and doing these drafts and like, and us studying it and, you know, piecing it all together. Um, But yeah, it is very valuable to zoom out every once in a while and be like, remind yourself like the scope and the scale at which this stuff is operating.
0: 100%. Yeah. And it's like something at this scale isn't just going to be built out overnight. It's going to take multiple like en- entities, institutions, private sector companies, and it's gonna take years to actually build like these standards around this infrastructure.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, they're already like the ISO standard was founded in I believe 2016, 2015, 2016 and Overledger was launched in 2018. And so, you know, we're only about five, six years into this. And if you look at the internet, you know, the internet, we're probably the equivalent of like the mid nineties. And you're gonna start to see, uh, we didn't really see the internet kind of take full scale until, you know, Facebook wasn't created until like 04, 05, and then YouTube 06, and then Twitter 07, and then Snapchat like 11. And so, that you start to ski- see that about 10, 15 years in. I mean, obviously we had the Googles of the world, the Googles and the Amazons kind of came out in like maybe let's, I don't know, 98, 99, 2000. So I think we're still a number of years away from this thing, like kind of on an infrastructure level kind of rolling out. And that will be like the Googles and the Amazons. But then from a you know a retail perspective, it might even take another five, six years. So this is a long-term project but the upside is is basically the whole the whole kit and caboodle right um and so it's worth kind of understanding it and what's interesting about investing in crypto especially if you know you think you have the winner you think you've picked the project and i think all of us you know we wouldn't have bought tokens if we didn't think they were winners the key is can you hold it like we all believe that if you snap your fingers and look 10 years down the line that this stuff's all going to be in play whether or not you had the right winner or not is almost irrelevant. It's like, we just know that crypto is gonna be there and these t- and this, the economy is gonna to be tokenized in some format. And it's just like, well, are you gonna be around for it? Like you think you are, but are you gonna get caught in a position where you have to sell? And, or do you get scared and do you sell? Or whatever it is. Um, so that's the real challenge for me is, you know, just making sure that you have streams of income that can allow these markets to kind of play out because the money is certainly going to get funneled this direction. And I think that's kind of a nice segue. If you want me to jump into the network effects side of things.
0: Yeah, sure. I, uh, there were just a couple other things I want to mention real quick about just overall ODAP and that thread. Go for it. Uh, so the first one was just, uh, I, I remember you mentioning ISO TC 307 in there and then showing that other, I guess, image of different layers of interoperability. So, yeah, if you just want to scroll up there real quick.
1: Do you want to see the stack? The Yeah, yeah,
0: the stack. So yeah, ODAP would be the uh, bottom technical interoperability
1: layer, right? That's correct. So it would fall under here under these protocols and communication f- data formats.
0: Okay, so just two things. Um, do you think there will eventually be other uh, protocols that are built to fit these other layers of interoperability?
1: yeah they have to be um and so they won't all be like protocol so i think interoperability can kind of it it has a very technical connotation to it but i think in this sense like if me and you, let's say, forget about blockchain for a second. If me and you want to cut a deal, I'm going to do your social media marketing and you want me to do it for you. We write a contract and that is an interoper- a form of interoperability between me and you, right? Is we've come in this common language and we've now interoperated our goals and desires and the payment and all of that stuff in a contract format. So it doesn't have to be like a protocol that's that's interoperable, it's just, two different entities that need to figure out a common way and an agreement on something. So the technical interoperability is gonna be the agreement of the data format in which we're pushing things, but then these other forms of interoperability aren't necessarily technical, they're actually more on a human level. Now you can build these out into like smart contracts and stuff to become more technical, but like the framework, the actual substance of the interoperability, quote unquote, is just like an agreement between humans. So again, to look at this tweet um, is, well, I guess I can leave it up. The tweet is on the right-hand side here. It might be easier to digest. Um, Like the semantic interoperability, this is also a a type of, I guess, technical where it's gonna be changes to the ledgers, um, but like organizational is more like terms and contracts like I just described. And then legal is gonna be more like the AML and the KYC and stuff. So. Again, interoperability there, w- all of these things are going to answer your question will need to be taken into account. It just depends on how and who and how it all builds on top of the technical protocol.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cause when I, uh, when I first saw that I was kind I was like a bit skeptical on the fact that ODAP would be building kind of to fit into every single one of these layers.
1: Yeah, it's more like they are building to fit into it, right? And so, like Carjano kind of said, like the gateways will communicate via the ODAP protocol, but it, ODAP alone is insufficient. ODAP needs other people and other businesses and other enterprises and developers to come and to build and tell the protocol what it should do. It's just, it doesn't do anything by itself other than create a platform and a protocol that everyone can agree upon that's standardized
0: yeah it just allows communication between these different parties it doesn't allow all these other things that need to be built over it that's right okay and then uh the second thing i was just gonna ask is um where would you see iso tc307 fitting into there if it fits into there at all
1: yeah so i can just bring this up real quick uh and i'm not gonna pretend i'm a TC 307 expert. But what I will say is this is the official technical committee for blockchain distributed ledger technologies. And you can see that it was created in 2016. And there are 42 participating members and 20 observing members. So basically, they don't, I guess these countries and by members, they mean countries, literally. So I guess if I click the 42, does it show me? Yes. So we see Australia, Brazil, Canada, like you know, uh, France, Germany, India, like Italy, everyone's here, right?
0: Yeah. Any Um, like G20, G7 nation, Yeah,
1: UK, us, everybody. Um, so they're all participating. They're in these conversations. They're in these technical committees. These are the different technical committees. So they have, um, all these different things that they're trying to come up with guidelines for, for example, like the governance committee actually just put out their official, like working group paper that says this is blockchain governance apparently it took like five years to work on and they just released this like two months ago or a month ago um and gilbert is still leading the working groups around interoperability so if you hover over this i right here or i guess click it mr Gilbert verdian and then there's another interoperability one here oh i don't know why the eye is not there anymore it used to be but he used to be leading this one as well um and so but they're not all interoperability you have like I don't even know what a lot of this stuff is, but like you have the digital currencies one, you have security and privacy and identity, governance, use cases, smart contracts. What are the agreements and the the standardization of these things that we can all agree on how to solve for like disputes and and failures in the systems and all these types of things. Um, so how do I see it playing in? I think that odap is being designed in a way that's compliant with the reg with the standards that these folks are discussing and coming up with um i don't know if i can really get more specific than that but this is like iso stands for i, I know i'm going to say this backwards but that's actually what it is it's it's the standardization uh oh god now i even forget the
0: it. international organization for standardization right
1: Yes, there you go. So it's actually not, they don't say it in the right order, but I guess you don't want to say like IOS. So they made it ISO, but yeah, International Organization for Standardization. That is correct. And so, uh, yeah, this is what all the countries are gonna go by. And then it's gonna be like, oh, and there's a protocol that fits under the standards that's approved by the Internet Engineering Task Force. Like, okay, like let's go, right? So- Yeah, I I guess
0: when when you're approved by like two standard setting bodies, that's definitely huge. Yes. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I really have to say in regards to ODAP and then just uh, basically what you said about uh, Gilbert Verdian not really being active in the uh, Telegram chat anymore. I don't think a lot of people realize just how busy and the scale of what these guys are doing at this point, working with guys like MIT, Central Banks and stuff. Like they don't really got time to be hopping into a Telegram chat and like talking with the community relative to like most your other projects out there
1: yeah and that's definitely been a point of contention in this community uh at least with some of the people that are not as committed to it let's say like maybe a recent token buyer or something of that nature or someone that's not as bullish or whatever it may be Um, you know you're in the crypto space and things operate a certain way in crypto and the thing about quant is they're explicitly like not a crypto company they are a B2B enterprise company that uses a token to secure their network, so they don't operate like a crypto company or a crypto protocol or a project. They operate like a private business that we're fortunate enough to be able to opt into via their token. That. If you believe in their network you can actually it's not like buying a stock where it's a little more psychology based right i mean people look at like revenue reports and whatever and then based off of that they buy the stock and it's more psychology where where of course there's psychology in tokens especially at this stage this nascent stage ultimately this is a utility token that is needed in order to operate the network so if you believe that the network will, will scale then the token will also rise in price and so We are being this is a blessing that we're being offered this opportunity to just go and freely buy these tokens and that at the same time, that doesn't mean that Gilbert is required to come and pat us on the back or to give us the update on the roadmap. That's not part of the deal the deal is that they're going to go out and create a brand new system for the freaking world and we're going to be lucky enough as a bunch of plebs to jump on the back and hope that he's going to make us millions of dollars so that's kind of like my message to people that get really antsy about like oh you know he last time he came in was november to give us an update it's like yeah well Watch some of the panels that he's been on in the meantime. Look at the updates that are coming out on the site that they're distributing every two weeks to upgrade their technology. Like, look at some of these partnerships that, you know, are starting to leak a little bit and we're seeing, you know, through the, cra- through the cracks. Like, take that as the communication. Why don't you just look at the work itself? Uh, because it's very obvious. And if you need Gilbert to come and pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be okay, maybe this is not the project for you.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> Like, it's very different from your usual crypto project in just about every way possible just because it's not just kind of working in the sense of connecting TradFi together, which I guess kind of is seen in a darker light around the space. But it's just very, I guess you could say professional in a sense, which isn't something you see too often.
1: Yeah, that's right. And again, people expect a certain level of transparency because of the ethos of crypto. But this is a bunch, this is a lot bigger than crypto. The crypto space is, I don't know what it's at right now exactly, but it's what a trillion dollars, let's call it. And that's nothing. Like that's a fraction of 1% of the money that's flowing around the world. And Quant is tackling the other 99 plus percent as well as the 1%, but the 1% is clearly secondary on their priority list. And so they're focused on enterprise clients and they're focused on mainstream adoption. And you can see that through every step that they're going through. If you track them, you say, okay, this is clear. This is aligning with this mass adoption vision. And crypto is a part of that. And you'll be able to, you know, connect the blockchains. And of course that 1 trillion, I believe will grow to five, will grow to 10, will grow to 20 over time, but, that's not where their focus is. And I think that's another thing that people bring up is like kind of this, these community gateways and like, when are we going to be able to stake? And when are we going to have the community gateways? And it's like, it's like when they're ready, dude, like they're not ready yet, because look at all the other stuff they're doing. It's not like it's been radio silence. It's like they're pushing out massive updates on the regular and you just have to have a longer term vision. Um, and by the way, the staking is not going to be that juicy. Like, get ready for that, guys. Like, because it's based on actual utility and transaction volume. Like, all the, o- the only other reason you're getting eight, 10, 50, 60,000% on time or whatever. Like, the only reason you're getting that stuff is because they're all Ponzinomics and they're all inflation. You know where those tokens are coming from? Those free tokens you're getting? They're just printing them and they're just saying here, or they have like 50% of their token supplies just allocated to giving away for free. That's not the way the system works. And it's not, you know, that devalues the, in the long term the value of your tokens, the way that quant works is that there's a hard cap. There's only 14.6 million tokens and that's it. They're already all minted and they're already in supply. Um, and so they're quote unquote, some of like a million of them aren't circulating because they're still in like the original wallet from the founders, but, they're all minted and they're all like there's no nothing new that's gonna into the market so the the api gateway uh you know community gateways when you get your yield it's going to be based on the actual transaction volume that th- flows through your gateway and they're going to break you off a piece and it's not going to be ten percent it's not going to be five percent probably so you know you're thinking low single digits here i wouldn't be surprised if it's one percent right this is not going to be I don't think personally, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think it's going to be in the short term, any sort of like passive income where you're going to be able to stake your quant and kick your feet up. You know, you'll maybe make some free quant. Think of it this way. If you were in Bitcoin in 2012, 2011, and you were able to like, you know, be some sort of mining operation on your laptop and you were able to mine, you know, five or 10 Bitcoin over the course of a year. If you fast forward to now, that's fucking epic. But back then, that's going to throw you a few hundred dollars. It's like it's not really going to do anything for you in the short term. So the idea of running a gateway, in my opinion, these community gateways, once they do launch, which who knows when that's going to be like end of this year, maybe next year. Um, stop thinking that it's going to come out like tomorrow and expecting it. It's not going to give you the immediate returns that you want. and if the team thinks that they're better off working on massive enterprise partnerships and onboarding governments and onboarding, like you look at what they're doing with lack chain, which we can talk about in a little bit um, like this is again, mainstream adoption, true mainstream adoption, not, you know, just little small yielding protocols.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I think people misconcept the idea of mass adoption as retail buying into crypto when really it should be seen as like these corporations, governments and other standard setting entities coming in and accepting, adopting the space and building out the proper regulatory frameworks for it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And eventually retail will all touch this, but it's not like you have to understand anyone that's watching this video right now, understand that you are in the vast minority. The people that are going to go out and they're going to buy their tokens and they're going to try and stake it on different protocols and they're going to watch YouTube videos about ODAP and Quan on Tokenizer's channel. We are a small group of people in relation to the rest of the world. Most of the world is going to get in touch at, with this technology through regulated formats and through enterprises and through governments, wallets and through CBDCs and through all of these like, you know, massive scale projects that are going on and are being developed right now that we are tracking and bringing you content around but if you expect like you know people to come through and just everyone's gonna start using these systems and whatever like when are we gonna get these gateways so retail can get in that's not what it is you're better off having them build systems for large enterprises that can then distribute to all of the regular people. Because they're the the expectation that you're going to have millions of people individually onboard themselves versus 100 or 200 enterprises flick the switch on and then you have billions of people. That's the way you want to go. It's just going to take a couple more years and be grateful for the opportunity and stop trying to rush everything.
0: Yeah for sure great way to put it and just before we move on to networks network effects real quick i just wanted to kind of play devil's advocate to what you had to say about uh the yield as to gateways and stuff but uh i do believe the yield isn't going to be what many of these people are expecting but at the same time i think in the longer term since it's not based on a certain percent apy it's based on a. It's basically based on the transactional volume of Overledger, right? Right. So um, over time, let's say five, ten years down the line, when Overledger gets mass adopted and is u- being used by enterprises and central banks, with that amount of transactional volume, I feel like these gateways would actually return a decently reasonable amount, especially given the fact that the price of the QNT token would likely rise over that time.
1: Yeah, it's very tough to say. And, and, and I am not sure. I, you know, I did say that because I did not. And, um, it's my belief that, you know, there's going to be different checks and balances in that scaling. So at the same time that you're having more and more adoption of the network, you're also going to have more and more gateways spinning up and you're also going to have kind of a scaling approach within what the gateways allow. So for instance, uh, I'm pretty sure that they've said that in the beginning, all the gateways are going to process the same amount of transaction volume. But then it's going to come eventually, they're going to turn it to where the amount of QNT that you put into the gateway actually allows more traffic to flow through. Uh, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for kind of that next phase of like just figuring out what the interesting game theory is around gateways and around token allocation and supporting different like ecosystems that pop up within Overledger network it's gonna be very interesting because in the internet everyone saw the same kind of potential to like connect everything and enable like this distribution of information and but they didn't know that what a social network was like truly they didn't know you know uh, what twitter was or what snapchat was or what facebook was or anything like that or what netflix was or what ebay was or what Uh, any of this stuff, Uber, like this stuff really changes the way that humans interact in real life via these platforms. We don't know yet what ecosystems and applications are going to pop up. And I think if it is, if if some of those are built on top of Overledger, then I think there will be game theory around how to utilize your QNT tokens. And that's something that it's just even too early to even kind of explore because we don't understand yet. But I think that'll all play into kind of you know, what kind of yield you can get
0: for sure. Yeah. Like this, we, we often forget, but this company is only like, what, like four or five years out now. Right. But, um, yeah. Do you want to move on to gateways now or not gateways? Sorry. Network effects.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of on that same, that same thought process around scaling. uh, I just want to quickly run through here, what network effects are and how they work and why it's important for something like Overledger. So Let's just scroll past this and just a quick couple definitions. A network is an interconnected system of people or things, right? Simple enough. And they're found in every complex system from power grids to internet companies to the human brain. And nodes uh, networks are made up of nodes and links. So you basically have the participants in the network and then the connections between the different participants, right? And network effects are the idea that the value of the network increases in direct proportion to the number of nodes in the network, the number of participants. And there's different ways to measure that. And there have been multiple attempts to measure that. We can all agree that the more people or the more participants are on a network, the more valuable the network is, but how do you actually quantify that? And so there's been a few, a few of the major attempts at this are Sarnoff's law, Metcalf's law and Reed's law. So Sarnoff's law was the first of the bunch. And this was a guy that worked in broadcast television. And so he basically said that, The the TV network is valuable because the number of viewers, right? So if this is the network, if this is the TV, how many people can we broadcast to? And the more people we can reach, the more valuable our network is, right? And that's great, but that doesn't account for two-way communication. This wasn't accounting for the internet, right? This is only one-way broadcast. So then Metcalf's law basically said that Not only is it just who you can get to from the source, but also all of the entities between each other, that also adds all this extra value to the network because we don't have to, we're not just receiving information, we can also write information to the network itself and communicate with these other nodes on the network. And this is one of the most common uh, network effect laws that's cited, Metcalf's law. But then there's even one that takes it further, which is Reed's law that says not only can we talk to each other, but you also have to account for all of the subgroups that can be created and have them all talk to each other and all the different possibilities of groups of two and three and four and five and six and seven and how they can talk to all the groups of two and three and all the combinations just explode, right? And so it's up to you and uh i haven't actually done enough dive to know like it's hard to tell like what's right but these are some of the different methods and the different quote unquote laws that measure kind of network effects and there's a company called nfx which stands for network effects and they have done a lot of research on this uh subject and they found that out of all the internet startups basically uh these tech startups uh 70 percent Uh, of their value has been created based solely on the network effects that they've created. Right. So under 20% of startups have network effects, but over 70% of all of the tech market cap can be attributed to network effects. Right. So what this says is that a small number accumulate a ton of network effects, like the Facebooks of the world and the Twitters of the world, and that acquires most of the value. So the network effects are directly proportional to the value that's being captured. But it, it's a lot of it goes into a small amount of, of companies or protocols or networks. Um, and now, Raul Pal, who is a figure in the crypto community, but it comes from a, you know, traditional finance background, he did a great thread, which is linked here, that I would highly suggest you go read, that basically back-tested uh, a certain formula that, showed that uh, if you do a simple formula of the daily transaction volume in dollars on a given network, and you multiply the daily transaction volume by the number of active nodes, and they didn't actually clarify what active meant. I guess you could say it was active daily, was it active monthly, was it what? So I don't know what that means exactly, but let's just assume that, you know, they're active participants in the network. So the number of active people multiplied by the dollar value that's circulating on a daily basis and that simple multiplication of those two numbers will backtest perfectly against these different prices of these charts. So actually, I'm going to click into this, this thread real quick and just show you what they presented. We're not going to go through it, but just on these charts. So when they took those numbers for Bitcoin, this is what it looked like. So you can see that the Bitcoin market cap is the blue line and their network value model that they created of those two things multiplied is the white line. So very similar, right? And then they did it again for ETH, which is right here. The blue line is the market cap and the white is their network model. Of course, it doesn't stay perfect all the time, but it's pretty obvious that this tracks pretty closely. Um, This is for XRP and then this is for Polkadot. And so what they're telling you here is that this simple multiplication of the daily dollar volume that flows through a given network multiplied by the number of active participants in the network will directly map to the price action and the value of the token represented in a digital asset network. Okay, so this is super powerful, if true. And again, this, this is just reiterating that and i say that it paints a very bullish price uh potential for quant and there's a few projects that i lay out here that show kind of the mass adoption for example lac chain and lacnet which is basically uh, a distributed ledger network that is combining 12 plus latin american countries they're going to be deploying the latin american dollar And this will, like we were talking about before, instead of having a million people all sign up by themselves, it's basically this government entity that's coming in and saying, hey, look, here's like this this regional network that we've created for Latin America. Here's the currency that we wanna use. It's gonna be pegged to the dollar. It's gonna have connection back to the United States. And we are gonna bring everyone into this network in order to operate with all these new systems and new businesses that are coming on through blockchain. Um, Quant is providing interoperability for that entire system. Okay, so this is a way that you get millions of users over just the course of a couple of years well, as they start to turn this stuff on. And they've said that blockchain is set to go live in 2023. And Gilbert just reiterated that two days ago, uh, pardon me, yesterday um, on a panel on the Financial Times live summit. So 2023 for blockchain. Another example is Oracle, which has 430,000 customers and then all of their clients, all the customer clients. Uh, Quant is their interoperability solution for Oracle's blockchain platform. And so you have all these different enterprises and all of their customers that as they start building on blockchain more and more and more and interacting with different networks, it's all going to be built on the back of Overledger. Right. And then you also have the central bank aspect where Quant, You know, one of their first major, major use cases is CBDCs and the central bank digital currencies and the amount of people that that's going to bring on and the amount of transaction daily volume that that's going to bring on. Even if it's just the banks transferring between each other and not even gone off to the retail CBDCs, if you're just talking about the wholesale central bank digital currencies, the ones that are going to be doing cross-border payments between different central banks, the volume, the daily transaction volume is absurd. Um, eventually, will be trillions of dollars per day. So if you go back to that formula, daily transaction volume in dollars, multiplied by number of nodes, just those three partner, those three ideas alone, the fact that they have all the central banks moving money is all the volume you need. And then you have all the number of users that are gonna be across, you know, all of Latin America, all of the Oracle, hundreds of thousands of enterprise clients. This, if this is supposed to directly track to price action, well, the, the, you know, the zero inflation QNT token is gonna see an explosion. And we saw the first hints of that type of explosion in 2021 when the token went 10X in no time flat. And that's the type of thing that happens when there's going to be no supply. And we add in, I didn't even touch on this thread. Uh, well, I guess we can go a little further. You know, Here's all the different use cases um, on top of like finance and, and the CBDCs and stuff that we're talking about healthcare data, this is where Gilbert actually started. This is the first interoperability system. ISO reached out to him and said, hey, can we standardize what you just built to combine all these Australian healthcare systems? we need to standardize this for the world. Like that's the type of level. And he's already been working, like Oracle already has a huge, they just bought um, a company called Cerner for like $40 billion. That's like a massive healthcare data. I mean, this is a massive industry. Um, And all these other industries, you know, metaverse, interoperability, uh, smart cars and uh, things like that. So the use cases are, are huge. And we're not even talking about the gateways. The gateways are gonna lock up If you look at networks like Solana, like Tezos, like Cardano, uh, you're looking at 70 plus percent of those networks being locked up in their staking. Um, And so if Quant, which I believe has a really strong community and really wants these gateways, they're hungry, even all the new people, it's like, how do I stake? Like, that's all people care about. And you know the enterprises are going to do that as well, because if they can open up these gateways, they're going to create a ton of revenue. And they're also going to create and interesting new revenue models in terms of how they want to release their data, they can monetize their data through these gateways. QNT tokens are gonna be needed to stake to all those gateways. And so all of a sudden you have 60, 70% of the supply off the market of an already scarce token in an ecosystem that is gonna go parabolic in terms of number of users and daily transaction volume. And so that's where you're gonna get the price appreciation according to this network model that the global macro investor, the Raul Paul company, came up with. And so I would highly recommend checking out um, his thread in addition to my thread, if it's interesting to you, but definitely check out this thread, his about the network effects and how it applies to digital assets via this simple formula. Um, And I believe that Quant is in a position to, you know, if you just look at the confirmed partnerships alone, forget all the stuff that's under NDA, which is probably 90 plus percent of their their partnerships. Um, We're going to see a huge amount of people and money come into the network, which will directly impact the token price.
0: All right. Another great breakdown of a thread. Um, I just want to further add on to what you had to say about overall network effects, as we've kind of seen like the Internet of information take off in terms of the network effect in things like Facebook and Twitter and stuff. And we see that at the start, it does move kind of slowly. But because it moves so exponentially over time, once it really starts to take off, it just doesn't really stop going up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, um, you know, we just look at the Internet and the networks that accrue the most value early on and the ones that succeed, they accrue the majority of the value. And so that's where something like, you know, we talked about Overledger being the first ODAP gateway, like first to the scene with a lot of tools and a lot of connections and onboarding a lot of people really fast. It puts in a really good position when network effects take place. Uh, They don't really let up unless there's kind of, you know, they can plateau for sure but it's rare that you probably see a network go parabolic and then just crash unless there's like some, you know, third party kind of interventions.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, Raul Paul has been talking about network effects for quite some time now. And he, d- I, I just want to also say that uh, those charts you showed from his thread showing the, uh how that formula perfectly matches with market cap is almost scary. How that's
1: fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. That was the inspiration behind this network effects thread was like, wow, if these charts are right, if it's going to map like this, if, if digital asset prices map to their network effects based on that simple formula, well, Quant is already pre-programmed to have a rise in price because they've already confirmed partnerships that are going to onboard millions of people and billions of dollars. And it's going to happen over the course of a, sh- a few short years. And so it's, it's quite obvious to me, that based on these models um, and any network, I mean, and that can go for any crypto network. If you believe, if there are clear, if it's clear that there is like, I just don't think that there are as many networks that are as clear as Quant in terms of the the amount of daily transaction volume and the amount of users that are clearly going to enter the network. Um, The rest of them are more like, hey, we're growing really fast and this is great. And of course, the price goes up with it, because look at these charts, um, the future growth is still, there's still a big fight. And is positioned itself where it doesn't really matter which one of these networks went out. They're going to all need to communicate via standardized protocol. And Overledger is one option and the first and currently only option to use those standardized protocols to interoperate.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I also just want to bring up how you mentioned uh, the three different, I guess, ways people view uh, network effect and that's Sarnoff, Metcalf and uh, Reeds. So uh, you said Sarnoff's law was uh, based off like the network effects for television, right?
1: Yes. It's for broadcast media.
0: Okay. And then Metcalf I've read is uh, more based on telecommunications.
1: Yeah. So it's just this idea that there's an up and back so it could be a phone network, maybe, um, or even an internet network. Um, like, so it's either you have the one-way broadcast communication, or you have these two others that are taking different approaches to measuring two-way communications.
0: Okay, yeah, that I guess that makes sense. I never really sunk that in to where how a TV is more of a one-way communication,
1: right? That it makes definitely sense. limits it. Limits the value of the network if I can't talk back to the node that just talked to me.
0: Hundred percent. You can't really talk back to the TV, right? <laughs> exactly. But uh, another fact that uh, Ralph Powell brings up a lot is just like the speed that crypto is growing at. He's uh, stated that we're at, I think, roughly 150, 200 million uh, wallet users.
1: Yep. So I think this, these charts actually, um, all of these three, four charts right here are all mapping internet growth to blockchain growth. Yeah. So, and it's
0: like growing at like double the speed,
1: right? So the white line is global Internet users and the orange line here is crypto users. So you can see kind of like it's, it's got more people and it's like at a sharper rate. Um, this is the same white is Internet. Orange is crypto. This is for uh, percentage growth um, per year. This one is for um, Oh, this is, I think this is just this information presented differently. And then this one is for, uh, let's see. Oh, it's hard to tell. This is, I think this is- I think that's really just like growth. extrapolating yeah. data for like- the. This few- is on the log scale. Yeah. So- Oh,
0: okay.
1: Oh, well, I guess these are log scale too. I got, I'd have to just sit and read these tweets exactly. But yeah, these are all basically saying what you're saying is that crypto is actually quit, more quickly adopted than even the internet itself.
0: Yeah. And part of that is because people are trying to get rich and stuff. But the other part we can't like leave out is that like it is growing really exponentially. And part of that is thanks to the original Internet and how fast we can spread information around now.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, there's a lot of excitement around this because we've already seen the Internet blow up. So people are more willing to take a shot because the Internet was something so brand new is a little more skeptical. Whereas blockchain, yeah, it's brand new and people are skeptical to some degree, but there's less of like a mental barrier, I think, for people to start to get involved.
0: Well, I think there's a bit of a mental barrier in like understanding what this technology is fundamentally and understanding why it's essential.
1: Yeah, there is. And to get over that, what you said, there's a get rich quick aspect to it. So sometimes people will look past you know, the, the technical and the fundamental. And they'll say, hey, well, if I can get rich, all right, I guess I'll try it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really need to know what it is as long as I'm making money, right?
1: right? So you have the combination of all the different reasons that people want to get on.
0: Yeah, but that's just like one, in, one incentive for people to get into this ecosystem. The other more reasonable incentives are kind of like how quants doing it with their gateways, where us community members are incentivized to run gateways and be rewarded in QNT, doing so, but at the same time, that helps decentralize the overall network.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I'm very interested to see how the gateway thing plays out. Cause I just think there's a lot of unknowns and going back to just like taking it day by day and, and what you can control and letting the company kind of do their thing. Like if you're investing in the network, then that means you trust the company to take the network to where it needs to be. And so it'll be fun to, to go on this ride and see what happens
0: yeah for sure i think it's pretty funny sometimes seeing uh because you you've seen some of gilbert's messages of him basically like indirectly calling all people saying like we don't need you guys messaging us telling us how to run this business
1: yeah so that was part of his last communication back in november he gave us an update on you know the oracle certification where they officially certified kwan and he mentioned that there was going to be a top university that's putting out um a course via Overledger, which did happen through king's college london um that's teaching you know developers ha- all blockchain developers not just crypto developers how to you how build for blockchain via Overledger. like gave us some updates like that and then he also said and by the way like you know you don't need to message us about this stuff. Like we, we're doing our best. We got hit by COVID. We have a small team. Like we have, we have an overwhelming demand that we can't keep up with with enterprise, and that's kind of where we're focused. The community gateways, we're we're running them. We're testing them. We have them. Um, we're running like the software on our end. We're still working on it. Um, there's no promises on when it's coming out. And please stop like hounding us. It's not going to get anything done, which is completely fair as far as I'm concerned.
0: Uh, are you referring to like what Gilbert's saying or the people hounding him for gateways
1: uh as far as him coming in and saying please stop bothering us we're doing our best I think that's you know, yeah no look I at, totally a, look agree. at all this other stuff that we're doing I think that's a fair
0: no I completely agree I think it's like crazy some people have the like audacity to like come in and like tell this guy who's worked at like multiple government and sea level uh corporations and say like hey this is not how you're supposed to run a crypto business like yeah.
1: i mean i totally get it i get it that people are frustrated maybe they bought the top maybe they didn't buy the top and they're just impatient like i understand frustration and impatience i understand human emotion i understand you know maybe something happened in your life and this is just adding to it and you're like oh fuck this like when the fuck are gateways like it's just something else that you're pissed about um but the reality is that like You know, it's a company that's operating at the highest levels and you just have to let it ride.
0: Yeah, you definitely bring in a really good point in that. Like there's definitely other people with like other external factors that may play into how they're like viewing the space.
1: Yeah. I mean, any anytime you're communicating with anyone about anything, you have to understand that like you have your own filters of life and uh, you need to come at it. Anytime in your life, you can come from a place of gratitude and graciousness then it's gonna work out better. And that includes like like the like you use the word audacity. Like I think it does take a, a certain level of like I mean just unawareness to be like, hey, why haven't you made me my millions faster? Like it's so it's so such a strange dynamic that you're doing actually nothing and you feel entitled to millions of dollars. Like just let it go. Like focus on what you can focus on.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but something else. Yeah, something else. I just want to add again was uh, we keep talking about the scarcity of the quant token with uh, it's fourteen point six million, right? That's right. So I think some people uh, often forget just how scarce four mil fourteen million is because Bitcoin's at twenty one million. So Quant being at about a hundred dollars right now is cheaper than getting Bitcoin at is 33 percent cheaper than getting Bitcoin at hundred dollars and I don't think that like sinks in for people enough.
1: Yeah, yeah um, I do I did have a tweet um, I don't know if I'll be able to pull it up that fast, but uh, maybe I, maybe I can. It's basically like um, this just comparing BTC and QNT price and I don't want to compare their use cases necessarily like directly. Um, but like here's the tweet I put out was, I rarely talk token price, but consider the value of Quant versus Bitcoin. Quant has bigger use case if you consider that it's going to be all of the data rails for the entire internet or that it has that potential. Um, It has a smaller supply. It has less regulatory concerns because you think about they're working directly with lawmakers rather than trying to lobby them like the Bitcoiners are. And there's a more cooperative approach in their technology through just the nature of interoperability, everything, no matter what wins, quant absorbs value. Whereas Bitcoin, it's like, you need it to go directly into Bitcoin and they're only focused on building Bitcoin. And this is coming from someone who loves Bitcoin. I truly love Bitcoin. I think that it's the only decentralized uh, blockchain or like truly decentralized network that we have in the world. Um, I don't think any of this other stuff is, it's just on what level of centralization are you and um, you know how willing are you to admit it? But I think that Bitcoin is beautiful. I think that it's the only hard money that we have in a digital format. And I still think that it being 350 times the price of Quant is silly um, because of all these things mentioned here. So uh, to your point, Quant at $100 is, you know, if you wanted to make an apples to apples approach, that would be like buying Bitcoin, you know, at like 65 bucks or something like that. Again, it's going to take many years for it to play out, but there's enough evidence now in the quant partnerships and the scale and the announcements that it's just a matter of time. And, you know, back to the point earlier, it's just like, can you hang on? Can you hang on?
0: Definitely. Yeah. But um, to just add further on to kind of like the tokenomic thing, I... Just like you, you probably realize, I don't really like to mention price and make price predictions all that much, if ever. But I think it is important to kind of look at the tokenomics and the overall, like, demand for the token utility and the case for a future supply shock, which given how Quant plans to operate this tokens with um, licensing and locking on gateways, I think the case for a supply shock is very likely
1: I agree I agree um it's it's hard it's almost hard to kind of fathom like but yeah that's the, the order books are going to be empty at some point and there's going to be you know these supply like shocks through licensing and like you mentioned and and maybe that's 70 percent of it's going to be off the market anyway through the gateways and you're going to just get people that are like they're going to realize that the network is undervalued and they're just going to buy up everything and they're not gonna care necessarily about the price um, as you know, larger entities are to be like, oh, this is like a foundational piece of the new internet. Um, even though it's a privatized company, it's like, okay, we believe in ODAP. We see what these API gateways are doing. Oh, Quant is by far the leader in ODAP. Okay, then maybe we should get it. You know, if you look at like Amazon and you look at kind of, um, you know, the AWS, it's kind of similar where it's like oh people start to understand the cloud and like what the value that brings and it's like oh this is like the premier cloud services like we should probably invest in amazon
0: yeah definitely and um i don't know about order books just being completely dry in the future but like as we've seen with bitcoin like back in the past in like maybe 2015 2016 there'd be common orders of like people buying 10 20 30 bitcoin you almost never see that now it's all uh, it's usually buys of like 0.5 Bitcoin or like 0.02 Bitcoin and stuff. And I feel like we'll eventually see that with quant where people are like trying to acquire fractions and decimals of quants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that'll, I mean, that'll be pretty much tied to the USD price too, right? It'll be like, well, depending on how much it is, it's like how much can I afford or how much is actually worth my time. But yeah, I do look at it these days. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's asinine to look at like, acquiring two quant at a time or one quant at a time you know if you can i think that that might be like acquiring one or two bitcoin at a time which didn't seem like much a long time ago but if the network effects play out you'll be very happy that you did
0: yeah exactly like if you told someone you were acquiring one bitcoin a week for like a year straight like two years ago let's not say two but like five six years ago that probably would have seemed like nothing but like At this point, if you're acquiring one Bitcoin a week, that's like, I mean, that's a year's salary for like a minimum wage paying job,
1: right? That's why I think the gateways are interesting because it's like, even if you only make a few quant for the whole year, like that's a few more quant that if you fast forward, you know, might be able to support your family for multiple years.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the thing with gateways is that like, They're actually, well, gateways and licensing is that they're actually sucking in token supply and creating more token demand versus, let's say, Bitcoin. And this isn't to shit on Bitcoin or anything, but the only use case it has to, like, suck up. What's the word I'm looking for? Suck up supply and draw up more demand is just hodlers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard money, but there's no, like. You're right. There's no staking. There's no like, um, I mean, maybe there. I don't know the dynamics fully of like the Lightning Network and providing liquidity on there. But um, yeah, I agree that Bitcoin's a little more simplistic in nature in terms of how the token be, can be deployed and how it, what its use case is. And I think that's it's a beautiful thing, but it also, yeah, it doesn't lend itself to like, you know, that you know. People can sell it, I think, a lot easier maybe than when a network like this, if it actually fulfills its potential, uh, would want to sell.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like I don't know, Bitcoin definitely plays its role well in being digital gold and everything. And at this point you can even wrap it onto Ethereum and stuff. Yeah. I but think
1: Bitcoin's uh, great.
0: Yeah, to uh so I, I am a fan of Bitcoin. I just wanna come out and say that at first, but I just before we get into this are you cool with kind of like going off topic and talking just like very briefly about bitcoin sure okay awesome uh i just want to like mention that like we understand that bitcoin's decentralized in the sense it was created through whoever satoshi nakamoto is but i just don't really think the consensus at the moment is really all that decentralized because at the moment um if you want to come in and support the Bitcoin network, either by running, well, let's not say running a node because you're not validating transactions Uh, to set up as a miner, most times to even be competitive, you need some pretty steep pockets to get into that sort of subsector.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect network, but, you know, we already saw, I think, a great example of (coughs) the distribution of mining and the stabilization of the network or the stability, I should say, is when China went offline last summer and the network hash rate dropped and all the miners dispersed and had to like leave China and find new places around the world. But the network never went down and the, the, you know, no, there were no 51% attacks. Like it's, it's sufficiently decentralized. I agree that in order to run like a profitable, like large scale mining operation, that's not going to be affordable for everybody. But I don't think that that means that there's a central point of failure in the network. I just think that there's certain levels of involvement that are going to cost more capital.
0: You know, that that that's a really good point. I didn't think of how like when that whole China exodus happened, Bitcoin didn't really even miss a beat. Like there weren't any mentions of attacks or anything. It sustained the network fairly well, even when like 50% of the network went offline.
1: Right. And you just have the difficulty adjustment every two weeks. So or whatever it is, I think it's every two weeks. And um, yeah, it just adjusts based on you know how difficult it's going to be based on the number of miners and hash rate and all that. So the system is is optimized already for staying afloat staying secure and it's gone through so many attacks whether they're like deliberate attacks or kind of like I mean this is a regulatory attack in a way Um, it's gone through so many of these things that uh, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes and I think we're at an all-time hash rate right now Um, and so things continue to chug along for Bitcoin I see it as sufficiently decentralized I think that the only area that like maybe a little bit is like, I think the node software, they're all using like the same software. So like something like that could be like a point of failure. There's a great talk. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, it's it's Balaji uh, Srinivasan talking about decentralization. Um, like he, he tries to quantify decentralization. Um, it's called you know, and i'll have to find it for you um i don't think it's any of these oh here it is quantifying decentralization there you go um this talk i believe it's this video um we're not going to play it right now but he basically breaks down yeah this is the video um he says that there's six different types of potential centralization for blockchains and so you're only as decentralized as your, most decentralized as your least decentralized subsystem, right? So, the, the idea that like you're only as strong as your weakest link. So, if any of these subsystems are centralized, then you're centralized. And you can measure each one of these individually, right? So there's the mining, there's the client, which I was talking about. Like there's the number of developers that are contributing to the network. Like if you only have one developer, like that's pretty centralized. Even if everything else is like ownership of coins, number of nodes and how many exchanges allow for like the distribution of your tokens. So this is a talk I would recommend checking out. Um, And he kind of looks at I think Bitcoin and Ethereum and kind of looks at some of these like uh, like, see, the client centralization for Bitcoin is actually quite centralized. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I would check this out if you're interested in, like, quantifying decentralization. Yeah, that's
0: cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, it goes, it goes back to the thing. Like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. 100%. All right. But, um, we've been going on for a bit over an hour now. I figured we'd just, uh, close it off with a couple quant related questions and then three, uh, fun non crypto related questions. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, first question we got is, uh, where do you see quant network in five to 10 years as in the role it's playing around, uh, our, like technologically futuristic world by
1: then? Yeah. So. I think, as I mentioned, like the AWS kind of like being the premier cloud services provider. I think we're going to see Quant being the primary API gateway provider for enterprise and for business um, that will then trickle down into retail. Um, I think they're going to have probably. You know, all CBDCs will run on ODAP and I think that Quant will probably capture like 60 to 80% of all the central bank's digital currencies that will run as Quant multi-ledger tokens. I think that some of the major use cases that will start to scale will be obviously the finance and banking and retail spending, but also I think digital identification, healthcare data, uh, exchange volume. and interoperability between metaverses and if we're looking at the longer end of that time scale maybe the 10 year plus um and then from a price perspective i think like five years you know will be in the four figures and 10 years will be in the five figures
0: yeah i think that's perfectly reasonable uh i think my outlook is fairly similar i think in five ten years we'll see quant become a household business name maybe even see some advertisements of it up in times square and stuff and I don't really have anything exact for price predictions, but yeah, I think four or five figures in five, 10 years is not far fetched by any means.
1: Cool. But,
0: uh, all right. So, uh, being so involved with the quant community, I'm sure you're well acquainted with many of the guys in there, like ghost Jeff son, uh, and many of those other guys. So, who do you feel like has been most influential, most impactful, and kind of just helped you throughout this journey the most?
1: Well, for me personally, I would say there's probably two guys that have impacted me the most, have influenced me the most. Um, the first was Sec, who, S-E-Q, who's written a lot of the foundational articles around Quant. He's put in a lot of time. Uh, He's since moved on to other ecosystems, but a lot of the foundational, like uh, written material that surrounds the utility of the quant token, how the Overledger network operates, how licenses work, all the things that like, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around in the beginning. He has medium articles that he's written and there's like a lot of telegram communication as well. So uh, I, you know, I've been, incredibly flattered that people are comparing me to him, but I, I don't think that we're really on the same level. I just think they're only comparing because he used to do a lot of Twitter threads also, and that's kind of become like my forte is like these Twitter threads. So, but I think from a technical perspective, he's just like on a whole other level and uh, he really influenced me. And um, also you mentioned Ghost, the Ghost of St. Michel- Miklos. Um, you know, he, he was basically the one who, uh, was most in front of the microphone i would say um, talking about quant and that's no slight to uh, dread and to luke as well who also did a bunch of roundtables with him but i think ghost even took it further like by the time i joined the community ghost was still doing like weekly chats in the telegram and doing these uh you know weekly updates for everyone and just kind of he had a lot on his shoulders um so Ghost, you know, as far as me kind of getting behind the microphone and doing some of like the live rooms I've done, um, you know, I admire Ghost a lot and the way that he thinks about the world. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I can't, I'd be remiss not to throw Jeff in there who just has been the most solid admin of in Telegram that you could ever expect. And just he, the amount of like, he is so underrated in the amount of content that he circulates, like from all these different sources. I have no idea how he does it, but he's, he just has this incredible way of, uh, you know, bringing this information together and just feeding us. He just feeds us all day. And then um, he basically just confirms all the analysis through the amount of articles that he's posting all the time. So those are probably be like three of the guys that have impacted me the most.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And like, Sec has definitely like his work has definitely like really helped grow the quant overall community just over time and it's definitely inspired a bunch of the work even i myself do around my content platforms awesome. i i haven't really uh seen too much of what uh ghost does just kind of read through some of his threads and things so i'll definitely have to tune into the telegram chats more and check all that uh jeff you're not much to add to that he's definitely an amazing admin and just some of the information he delivers is definitely very clear and concise though i think for me at least i'd uh the most influential uh quant influencer i think for me i'd have to give to san just because uh you're yeah you know which San i'm referring to right of course yeah okay uh he when i first got into the quant community i was basically asking a bunch of questions a bunch of newbie questions like why do we need interoperability how does interoperability work and he basically pulled me aside into a private dm explained everything and like sent me a bunch of really easy to understand diagrams
1: that's incredible um yeah he's a beast dude uh he he pushes I would say if you combine quality and volume, he's like the goat on Twitter right now for quant.
0: You're definitely climbing up there.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I definitely don't tweet as much as Son, but I try to keep the quality as high as possible. So we both have our, not to say his quality is low at all, but um, he has a different, we both have different styles and we both uh, have different communication methods. And I think both of them are super valuable. So yeah, I, I definitely tip my hat to Son.
0: We'll recognize real. And then uh, for our last crypto related or quant related question, I guess, um, if you had to pick, who would be your favorite quant partner? And just for the sake of this, I'm not going to allow any NDAs.
1: Yeah. Um, so I would, my favorite is LAC Chain, I think, um, which is the Latin American Caribbean chain. And um, I do actually have a thread here that I think is very interesting to me. Um, If you can still see my screen, I think that um, there was this guy that came out, I guess he is the, let me get his title again. He's uh, he's in the the blockchain space, obviously. Um, The digital assets lead at Cambridge. Um, And he basically put together a little thread that kind of went a little bit under the radar here. But it was, it really spoke to me in terms of, you know, he just said like, oh, I just learned about chain and this is kind of blowing my mind. And he basically said that, um, how did he put it, that, uh, where was it? I remember he said that, oh, I guess he says it at the end, but he basically like expressed like how interesting this is. So I just want to maybe just quickly run through this because what it is, is a, it's a uh, DLN, which is a distributed ledger network. and so. We talked a little bit about the 12 Latin American countries that are all going to be underneath these, like these systems that are being implemented. And it looks like this one is really interesting. So governance is decentralized, uh, all the members have a say, but it's facilitated by a legal entity that orchestrates the memberships. Okay. So you can sign up through a legal entity, but it's decentralized governance. Um, members run their own nodes and they have a hundred plus 120 plus nodes from 80 plus institutions and get technical assistance. Uh, And it can also run writer nodes. um, And there is a validator rotation mechanism so that you have different people validating the transactions at all times. Like it it provides, as he says, maximum resilience and decentralization based on algorithms and performance. Uh, There's no transaction fees. There is end user privacy because there's like a, I, I guess, what's called a second signature step um that provides like a level of privacy and anonymity anonymity uh there's over 50 projects already up on there so basically yeah this is what he said i've not been this excited about permissioned blockchains in a long while really glad to see considerate initiatives like this finally reaping the harvest of the seeds they so long ago so the reason this is exciting to me is like okay i can actually see like different regions across the world spinning up their own regional blockchain networks and distributed ledger networks, blockchain is the first of its kind. It is the one that is out there on the front lines in Latin America, launching the Latin American dollar, creating these blockchain networks that have, according to this thread, pretty interesting dynamics to them that can be learned from by all these other countries in the world. And so for that reason, uh, I think this is one of my favorite partnerships because it's really leading the way and it's a public partnership with quant um it is tied back to citibank in the u.s so there will be like uh, you know, that's i think how they keep their peg to the dollar is is through united states banks and um so it's a large scale project again multiple countries are involved double digit countries and i think it's really going to allow for mass adoption
0: yeah i mean the partnership with blockchain i think is absolutely huge too like in a single partnership, they pretty much connected a whole continent together and are designing a pretty much new tokenized currency. Like, that's absolutely massive. And the fact that blockchain is formed by the interdevelopment banks that are made between 48 countries, like, really doesn't get any better
1: than that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so this becomes a framework and a blueprint for other regions around the world they can look at what's being done in latin america and they can steal some stuff they can copy some stuff and they can also add their own little twists and turns and um quant is powering the whole thing
0: yeah and to see it being live into production like next year now is definitely going to be really exciting to see but i think my favorite partner would uh I've actually never decided on this yet, but it's definitely in between Sia and um, Oracle. Just because with Sia, you're connecting 580 banks plus at once. Like we see a bunch of other crypto networks out there that might have some ties to the finance industry partnering with a single bank, whether that be, I don't know, uh, Citibank or Santander and not to try and call out any other networks, but. That's a lot slower of a process than just partnering with one of the biggest financial payment service networks out there and having them all available using your solutions. And as for Oracle, I think it's a really cool partnership because with that single partnership, you're pretty much attacking 12 plus different industries that all rely on tech and will in the future need interoperability between different DLTs.
1: I love that. Um, it's mind blowing kind of the scope. And I like those picks because, you know, to your point, they're both kind of like for, you know, no pun intended, a gateway into many, 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 many other partners, like, you know, by, uh, you know, by second degree. So, you know, like you said, you don't have to partner one by one, you make these one partnership and it opens you up to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe probably thousands of, different uh, networks that will then use your technology over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. I like to call them indirect connections and Quant's doing that really well. And I think that further just ties into how much we mentioned network effects, because when you partner with someone at that scale, the ability to scale out and unravel that network effect just accelerates all that much more. That's right. All right. And then uh, just three uh final non-crypto related questions to close it off uh so first up what would be your favorite food
1: oh man um there's so many ways you could go with it but like i'll say one of the most the most foundational this will be kind of boring probably but the most foundational food in my diet is smoothies i figured out over the last few years that like you can get so much bang for your buck in a smoothie and you can mix it up and be pretty diversified with that. And you can just, you can get a lot of nutrients and stuff just by pounding a smoothie and uh, and still, you don't get super full either, depending on how much you drink. So I just love, it. it's like, uh, it's very flexible for me. So it's boring. I think someone once asked me that and I got like laughed out of a room with that answer, but it's the truth.
0: Well, no, respect for that. Um, smoothies are very versatile. You can pretty much blend anything into them. I mean i i have one pretty much for every breakfast there you go all right and then uh when you're not working on quant content or any other digital media sources what do you enjoy doing in your free spare time
1: yeah uh i I go for long walks every day i do yoga as much as possible i try to do it every day but probably like four or five times a week um and i play valorant which is a first person shooter game on my computer so i link up with mm-hmm. a bunch of my buddies back home and we just kind of you know click some heads so that's you know other than that yeah i've been spending a lot of time on quant but those are the things that i do in my free time
0: awesome definitely seems like a really healthy lifestyle long walks and then some gaming with friends
1: yeah, we try our best.
0: <laughs> and then um, last question would be, um, what are some things that you've done in your life that you're mo- most proud of and some things you're aiming to achieve in the near future?
1: Wow, good question. Um, one of the projects that I'm pretty proud of was I built a audio speed dating app uh, back in 2018 and worked on that for a few years. I was able to attract some really really uh awesome partners that you know without the hard work that i put in i wouldn't have been able to bring on the project um it ended up not going anywhere because i realized that i didn't want to be a tech ceo but what we did do is we actually did create a working prototype we ran a bunch of speed dating events in los angeles and kind of proved the concept of the technology and this was prior to clubhouse or any kind of social audio So I was like ahead of the curve on that and actually built like a working prototype that people really enjoyed and got some pretty good NPS scores, which is basically that score that says, um, how likely are you to recommend this to a friend, you know, after using it, one through 10. Um, We had like a nine NPS score, so people, even though it was kind of a a shell of a product, it was still like functional and people really enjoyed meeting people, basically one-on-one through audio calls versus like having to do the swiping of the the dating app. So I was really proud of that project. and kind of what I did to take it from zero to one. Uh, and then what do I want to do in the future? I mean, I mean, my goals right now are definitely uh, just continue to grow my Twitter and grow my influence in, in the crypto community. Uh, I've been approached over the last few weeks by a few different companies, uh, potentially to do some work for them in, in the space. So it's amazing what can happen when you really put yourself out there and you know you put out high quality work and people are attracted to that. Um, and then i guess this is kind of public or i've only mentioned it to probably a few people but i did actually apply to quant um oh wow a, as a product marketing manager so i have some pretty relevant experience so that would be cool uh, i don't know if they would make me move to the uk if i were to get that but um yeah haven't heard back from them yet so we'll uh, we'll see if that has any legs at all but that's kind of like a a short-term exciting thing um But, you know, I've got a couple other people in my DM that are, I don't want to say who they are yet, but um, yeah, they got a lot of stuff cooking. So it's exciting.
0: That's awesome, man. And just like seeing your, like, I don't remember when I first started following you, but I think you were at about like three to 500 followers when I first followed you. So just seeing kind of the insane amount of growth that's happened over time on your account has just been like absolutely amazing to watch and i think it's really well deserved for how you present yourself and how you present all your content so professionally
1: oh thank you man i appreciate that a lot um it's been it's been a joy and the community is so positive and they respond so well to well researched information it just encourages me to work harder and to put out better stuff
0: definitely yeah and really excited to uh hopefully hear back from that quant application because i think you'd be the perfect candidate for that or if not that then at the very least a community lead
1: yeah well you know from your mouth to quant's ears so we'll see what happens
0: (laughs) yeah but um yeah that's pretty much all we've got for today uh did you have any closing thoughts you wanted to leave the community off with
1: yeah i mean just uh You know, just want to reiterate the patience. I think that that is really the most important thing and focusing on what you can control. Like for me, uh, as soon as I started working on pushing content and creating value for other people, more things started coming my way and I spent less time kind of staring at the token price and feeling those negative emotions that we all get. So, yeah, I would just, you know, zoom out as much as you can focus on what you can focus on, triple down on your research, keep listening to guys like Tokenizer and uh yeah just i just want to reiterate to you brother like keep up the good work and keep pumping out the content i'm really always impressed um i would say between you san and citizen like you guys push out just like the volume is just so admirable of like just always finding something valuable to talk about so and then you you know you you all have these other channels too like the youtube and stuff that i i'm just pretty much on twitter so you guys are pumping multiple channels multiple products uh, projects I should say and uh, it's great so keep it up and um, look forward to collaborating more in the future
0: thank you man I really appreciate it and part part of the that volume of content is just honestly me getting distracted in class so I think it's pretty funny <laughs> people say that sometimes
1: yeah well hey you know your passion is your passion and um, you know you're you're using even if it's like enabled by boredom you're still bringing value to people so keep it up
0: yeah but uh anyways thanks a lot greg for coming on it was awesome getting to talk with you it's been something i've been meaning to reach out to and do for quite some time now and i'm sure this won't be the last time we talk
1: it's been a pleasure man